morning, everybody. Man, it's so good to be in church. So good to be here. I love that last song. Wasn't that, isn't that a good song? It doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us. It doesn't matter the battles you're fighting, and it doesn't matter your wins and your losses, but God will use it all for his good and for his glory. I'm telling you, it's a, that was a powerful song. I love it. I love it. Before we get going this morning in the message, I got a couple of quick announcements. Uh, love and Laughter is coming up. It's coming up here. And uh, so it is our ladies' event. And, uh, and in fact, uh, they're going to be talking about how to study your Bible. In fact, they'll be looking at uh, like practical and fun ways to read and study your Bible for all levels of where you're at. So where you're at, there's different fun ways. Maybe you got stuck in a rut reading your Bible or, or maybe you're thriving or maybe you just like want to find a new way to study your, the Word. There's, they're going to be going through that. It's going to be a lot a lot of fun. Yeah, but I'm not invited, so I don't really know, I guess. That's just the word on the street, is that it's good, it's good. Well, guys, I want to welcome you if you're a guest with us this morning. My name is Matt, and my wife Amber and I are the pastors here, and, um, and we're just so glad that you're with us this morning, and we'd love to get to know you, and, and we'll be hanging out in the lobby after the service, or you can also text into the office if you'd like, um, and just a quick, hey, we were here, because we love to make new friends. We'd love to make new friends. And if you came prepared to give this morning, this is the time when we receive tithes and offerings. And, and so if you came prepared, you can do that electronically. You can text in or go to the website, or you can do the drop boxes throughout the building. But let's pray over the tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you um, for all the provision that you've given us. God, just um, as we are continue to be good stewards with what you have given us, God, I pray that, that as the resources come into this church, that they would um, have a blessing upon them, that everywhere that they go, God, they would, they would be a blessing blessing to people and blessing in lives, and, and God, that your name would be famous um, with, with every cent that's spent. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Okay, so we are in a series called Promises. Have you guys enjoyed this marriage series, this relationship series? It's been kind of fun, isn't it? And, uh, you know, uh, we, we were even talking about dating and marriage and, and, and all these different things, and, and we we're, you know, you've heard me talk about how the, the um, you know, dating in the Christian world is different than dating in the you know, in the regular world, and, and you got to have Christian pickup lines if you're going to be dating in the church. You know, you can't just use regular pickup lines. But I thought just for fun, I'd share a couple of regular pickup lines this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct all these at my wife, Amber, so, you know, it, it'll be awkward, but just deal with it. Hey, baby, if I had a garden, I'd put your tulips and my tulips together. <laughs> oh, yes, you know you like that. <laughs> Is your name Google. Because you've got everything I'm searching for. Yes. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, you're a 9. <laughs> but I think I'm the one that you need. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's a 9. I'm a 1 together. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So listen, they don't work. In church, you've got to step your game up, though. If you're dating in church, you've got to step your game up. Because there's a whole other level of, of like Christian pickup lines that, that you've got to be well-versed in the Christian pickup lines if you're going to make, if you're going to have your game in church going, you got, so, so here, here's a couple for you, you know, if, if you're single, you're not going to pick up on another chick, Christian girl or Christian guy, and here, here you go, guys, this one's for you, you can tell the girl, hey girl, are you the Sea of Galilee? Because you're the only gal I see. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. Oh yeah. Hey, are you a Pharisee? Because you're the fairest one I see. Yeah, I know, it's so bad. <laughs> Is your name Faith? Because you are the evidence of things I've been hoping for. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't try any of those on Amber. Yeah, I got I to tell you, that was, I, 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 we, babe, we missed out. I missed out. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. 
<laughs> you know, in dating, they say that opposites attract, that opposites attract. Isn't it funny how, um, you know, when you marry, when you date somebody or you're attracted to somebody, they're not the exact replica of you, right? That would be really weird, honestly, if they were the exact replica of you. It seems weird how opposites tend to attract, but then when you're married, those opposites tend to attack, <laughs> right? So you, you find yourselves like attracted to, the, to these people who are different than you because you find it cute and funny and entertaining and sweet. And, and, you know, when you're dating, it's like, oh, they're so laid back, you know, and I kind of like how casual they are. That's really, you know, I'm really attracted to that. And then you get married and it's like, why are they so lazy? They don't do anything, you know? And it's like, no, no, no. The, the thing that you once thought was like attractive and cute has become the thing that you're like, I don't know anymore. I'm not sure. You know, in dating, it's like, oh, he's so funny and quirky, you know, and then you get married and you're like, oh, he's so obnoxious and annoying. <laughs> in the dating, it's like, they're, they're, they're so prepared, they're organized. Like, like they, they, they're, they're, they like kind of are on the ball, on the game, they kind of have every detail covered. I, I kind of like this, you know, and then, and then you get married, like, they're a control freak. They don't <laughs> let me do anything, you know. It's, it's, sometimes the opposites attract, and what we find acute and attractive and fun while we're dating, once we get married, those very same things can become things that we find annoying. Isn't it funny how that works sometimes? See, I believe that God wants us to see our differences and use our differences in a, in a marriage relationship so that in order to have a more powerful team, I think God has a design for your marriage and that your differences will complement each other and that when you find your differences that they will bring you together um, to be able to be a unified front and be a powerful team in this world. But see, the enemy, the devil wants to sow seeds of discord into your marriage and he wants to put division in your marriage, and he wants to find those differences and use those to cause division inside of your marriage. You see, God wants to cause unification, and the devil wants to cause discord and division. And the very same thing that you're looking at that can be causing division in your marriage, God can take that and use that for something that can bring unity and even a stronger relationship um, in your marriage. The thing that you thought was maybe not so great, God can use for good. Just like that song we were singing. Guys, this is super important because we see this all the time where, where marriage in our country is suffering. It's struggling. They say that 50% of marriages end in divorce and the stats inside the church are no different than the stats outside the church. That half of marriages end in divorce and the ones that are making it, come on guys, you can see the ones that are just sticking it out because they're sticking it out and, and out of the 50% that are making it, some percentage of those aren't even happy. And so how do you have a happy thriving, successful marriage. Is it even possible? It is. It is possible. The odds can look against you, but I want to tell you that it is absolutely possible. It's absolutely possible. And we're in the third week of a four-week series, and we have been talking about different promises that we can make in our relationships to help us to be able to, to have a thriving and successful marriage full of all kinds of passion and fun. And the first one is this, is that week one we talked about the promise of priority. The promise of priority. And we, we, say, we said that we were going to promise to put God first and our spouse second. We're going to put God first and our spouse second. 
you know, it's funny because we, 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 we grow up in a pop culture with the movies and the music and the TV and everything around us telling us that if you can find the right one, then my life will be complete. If I can find the right one, then my life will be complete. And how do you know that they're the right one? Oh, well, my heart just goes pitter-patter, and, and I can just feel it, and, and I can't stop thinking about them. And, 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 and that's how I know that I've found the one. And, and there's going to be, like, in the movies, there's going to be some love letters, like, every day. There's got to be a scene with rain where you're both standing in the rain getting wet. That's a, certainly an ingredient to know that you found the one. Um, you know, and there should be something like, like, you complete me, or uh, some sort of, you know, cheesy line in the midst of that rain letter storm thing that's happening. And, and you know, you, you, how do you know? How do you know you found the one? You know, and then, and then you, you think you found the one. And so you, you end up getting together with this person and, and maybe even getting married. And, 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 you, and you think you found the one. And then, and then eventually you, you end up splitting apart. Because why? Because why? I guess I just didn't marry the right one. Well, how do you know? Because I don't feel it anymore. Listen, I want to tell you that, that when, when you are putting your emphasis on finding the one, we talked about this in week one, finding, and putting your emphasis on finding the one, you will always struggle in this area because I know that you need to find the two because your number one in priority needs to be the Lord. You have got to have God as a number one priority in your life because you, ha- you can't expect from your spouse what only God can provide in your life. And, and so you've got to put God as number one in your life and have him being the life, the, your source of life and, and, and so that you are a whole and complete person who has satisfaction and fulfillment from God. And then if both you and your spouse are in that position, then you and your spouse can have a fantastic relationship. But you have to have God as your one and, and God and your spouse is number two. And so you get the promise that God will be your first priority and your spouse will be your second priority. Week number two, we said this, I promise I will always pursue my two. I will always pursue my two. Our natural reaction in life is, is, to, is to pursue what we don't have. When you don't have it, you work hard to pursue it and to get it. But what happens when you have it? The temptation lies that you would want to stop pursuing it because you already have it. And your efforts and energy on pursuit now shift into things that you don't already have. And when that happens, your spouse feels neglected, and then all of a sudden the relationship suffers. And so week number two is, I promise I will always pursue my two. And today, on week three, we're saying this, I promise that our marriage will be about we and not me. It's the promise of partnership. The promise of partnership. About we and not me. And next week, we're going to talk about the promise of purity and the promise of purity. So today we're going to jump around in the, in the Word just a little bit, but we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. United his wife and become one flesh. Last week we looked at this, but the word united is, is completely joined as one. Completely connected as one. The two are now completely connected as one. It's not two me's, it is one we that is there. You know, I know that as we talk about this subject of, of marriage and, and dating, and, and, and there's people in the room that have um, had 
bad experiences in dating and maybe you've never been married, but I also know there are people in the room that have been married and you've gone through the pain and suffering of divorce. And I just want to acknowledge that, that I'm I want to be sensitive to that, and I want you to know that, that just because you've, that's happened in the past doesn't mean that excludes you from a healthy marriage relationship in the future. Your future can, can be bright. You can take what you've learned from that, and, and you can grow in that and, and, and have a, a thriving marriage in the future. I, I just I want to acknowledge that I know that there are people in the room that have had failed marriages, and, and um, the pain is unimaginable. But I know that you can move forward. You can change the future. In Matthew chapter 19, this is Jesus talking about the same passage in Genesis. So in Genesis, it's talking about united in one flesh. But in Matthew, Jesus is now talking back on this moment. And he says, For the reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. You, you know, some people say that marriage is just a piece of paper. It's just, it's just a piece of paper. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of paper. I mean, I'll, I'll take a piece of paper out of, off of my stack right now, and I'll write something on it. There we go. We're married. It's just a piece of paper. Listen, I want to tell you that marriage is not just a piece of paper. You know, it is not just a piece of paper. If it was just a piece of paper, it would be a marriage contract. Because that's what it would be as a marriage contract. But in the Bible, it talks about how marriage is a covenant and not a contract. It's a covenant and not a contract. And, and there's a big difference. There's a big difference between the two. Because a contract is built on mutual distrust for one another. The contract is built on mutual distrust for one another. There's contracts everywhere. Have you noticed everything you do in life has some sort of contract that you've got to sign? I wanted to join the gym. There's a contract. There's a contract that they don't trust me to operate the equipment properly. Because if I don't operate it properly and I hurt myself, they assume that I'm going to sue them. And so there's a contract that says, welcome to our gym. We're so glad that you're here. And in that contract, it says, if I hurt myself on their equipment, I can't sue them. It's a distrust agreement, right? You have a, a smartphone, every once in a while it updates, and there's some terms and conditions that are about 15,000 pages long, and all you do is scroll, 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 you're talking to your friend, scroll, 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 you're looking out the window, I accept, right? Like, it's just, yes, I've read and accept this. I mean, what do you, what, is anybody really going to not, going to read that whole thing and, and accept it? I mean, I doubt it. Maybe you will, but if you read the whole thing and you find something you don't like, what are you going to do? Not accept it? I mean, you're like, uh... Yeah, I guess I go back to the flip phone, you know? Like, and that's okay. If that's your jam, you can do the flip phone if you want. But if you have a smartphone, use a contract. You're going to sign it and say, yeah, I agree to use this. There's, there's things in those contracts. If you're going to rent property, there is a contract. In fact, when your landlord and the renter sign the contract on the place, the landlord is saying, you will pay the rent on time. And you're like, yep, I agree to that. And as a renter, you're, you, know, you have accountability to the landlord that the landlord is going to provide certain things for you, such as when things break, there will be a timely response to fix it. And so there is a contract. Why? Because he doesn't trust you to pay on time and you don't trust him to fix stuff on time, right? Like that's just kind of how a contract works. As a contract is a mutual distrust from one another. It is protecting me from wrongdoing. I'm in it so long as you're in it. I'm in it so long as you're in it. Marriage is not a contract. If you approach your marriage as I'm in it so long as you're in it, it is a recipe for disaster and for failure. 
your, re- your input on a, on a marriage has to be in a way that, that it is like I am 100% in no matter what stance you're in. I'm 100% in no matter what stance you're in. A covenant is based on a mutual commitment, not a contract. A covenant is something that you see all through the Old Testament, all through the Bible. It was a spiritual thing that God always represented all the way through. He had covenants. They were binding agreements. In fact, they would be blood covenants in the Bible. In fact, the, when marriage was uh, in the Old Testament, they, they, they took blood and they used blood covenants all the time. And so imagine this uh, in, your, in your wedding day. Um, but this is what they would do is, is Old Testament times. They would actually cut hands. They would cut each other on the hand. And then they would hold hands together, smashing the blood together. And then the, the, the priest or whoever's officiating the, the marriage would then tie their hands with a cord. And they would symbolize how their blood is intermingled. It is a blood covenant. And the two have become one flesh. You could not separate the blood cells at this point because the blood is now there. And in Leviticus, it talks about how the source of life is in the blood. And so now you've mixed their life and her life, his and her life together now into one mixture of a blood covenant. That was what happened. I mean, now you, you know, now you wear a white dress. So, you know, you're like, I don't want to just slice it. We'll do it like this, you know, because like, blood stains on this thing. Right. But, you know, so, you, you know, but th- th- back then that was, that was what they did. They had a cutting of hands. And it would symbolize that the two would become one. They would cut the hands in the ceremony and then they would consummate the marriage. And the two would become one flesh. And the consummating of the marriage was something that was beautiful. It was righteous. It was reserved for for marriage. You you know, I I look around the world and and, and I look around where we're at and, and, and I see that people take things that are married people things and they're doing them before they're married. You know, gee, Pastor Matt, you're kind of old-fashioned. Like, what are you talking about saving all this stuff for marriage? I'm like, yeah, yeah, save it for marriage. Don't move in before you get married. Don't, 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 be, don't be having sex before you get married. Don't, don't be doing the married stuff together before you get married. Yeah, I don't know. You're just kind of old-fashioned. I might be old-fashioned. I might be old-fashioned. And gee, that's just not normal. You're right. It's not normal. But I look in the world and I see normal, and I don't want that. And I don't think you want what's considered normal today either. Because what you see in normalized society today is a lot of heartbreak and hurt and pain around relationships. When more than half of marriages end in divorce and, and, and then and you, is that what you want? Is that the normal? That you, you don't want normal, right? You want something that's above and better than normal. And if you want to get something different than what everybody else is getting, you got to do something different than everybody else is doing. It's, it's just pretty simple logic in that sense. If you want normal, you can have it because the world is full of pain and divorce and people cheating on each other and adultery. If you want something that people don't have, you've got to do something that people won't do. You need to reserve the gift of lovemaking until marriage, just the way that God intended it. See, everyday behavioral, people are doing married things before they're married. They get, you know, they fall in love. That's what happens, right? They fall in love. And, and then they're, they're headed towards marriage, if you, if you can see the trajectory of the relationship. But then what happens along that trajectory is somewhere along the line, they're like, gee, you know, I kind of been staying at your place and you've been staying at my place. 
you know. And uh, it's like, well, we should just save money and move in together. Oh, yeah, I mean, that, sure, that's, that makes sense. So you, you move in together, and then you buy the couch and the coffee table and, and the TV, and, and then you have, you know, you have your toothbrushes and everything. You know, you move everything in together into one place, and now you're living in one house, living what would be a married lifestyle without being married. And then one day you find out they're not the one. I was wrong, the wrong one. I got married. You know, what was once cute is now annoying and I don't like it anymore. And we're going to break up. And so now what? I'm going to take the couch. You're going to take the coffee table, but I get the TV. You can have my toothbrush, you know? And so it's like, you know, you move on from, from there. And, and then, you know, and so there's people in life that, that you will have had that experience. And the world says that that's kind of the normal path. And so you do it again. And maybe a three, five, ten. 18 times, I'm not sure how many times through life this starts to happen over and over and over. And here's what happens is you're pretending to be married and you're practicing divorce over and over and over again. And so then when you finally do get married, when you finally hit big bumps, you're tempted to work over those bumps. And you do for a little while, but then what happens is that you have this lifestyle habit of practicing marriage and practicing divorce over and over and over again. And so then the path to you is like, well, the natural reaction is like, I'm taking the couch and the TV. You can have the coffee table and the toothbrushes. I'm out of here. And we have these patterns that are happening all around us. And sometimes even maybe in your life, you've seen this pattern over and over again. Listen, I got to tell you, Amber and I are in this thing for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, till death do us part. Like, like, like we, Amber and I made a decision in the beginning of our marriage that we weren't going to say the D word, the divorce word in our marriage. We weren't going to say the D word. We weren't, gonna, we weren't even going to talk about it. That wasn't an option from the beginning. And so we've, we have not, you know, we said that from the beginning. We don't want to end up like everyone else. We don't want to get a divorce. And so we're going to eliminate that, that language from our vocabulary 100%. Have we gotten in fights? Yeah. Over the last 18 and a half years, we've gotten in two fights both of them last week, really weird. And so, <laughs> no, but we get, you know, have we get, yeah, we get in fights. Do we have disagreements? Sure, we're, we're human, right? And so you're going to get in fights and disagreements, but you're 100% in. So when you hit the rocks in the path, it's not the rocks in the path don't mean that, that your marriage isn't working. The rocks in the path, every conflict is an opportunity, you got to see this. Every conflict in life is an opportunity, whether it's in your marriage or anywhere else. But it's a conflict, it's an opportunity. That conflict is going to change your relationship with that person you're having a conflict with. Your relationship is going to get stronger or it's going to get weaker depending on how you react to that conflict. That conflict is something that you've got to learn how to manage conflict. And, and so the best part about fighting with my wife is that we get to make up. Like that's the best part, you know? We use that conflict to get stronger together and closer together, right? Listen, it is not 50-50. It's 100%, 100%, right? It's not 50-50, it's 100%, 100%. And if both people aren't 100%, 100%, you're going to have struggles and you're going to have to get over that and you're going to have to get to the place where a healthy, thriving marriage is 100%, 100%. If every time you get in the fight, your mind thinks about leaving or walking out the door, you're not 100%. You've got to get to your place where you know, I'm, I'm fighting all the way through this. I'm not leaving them. If they're going to leave me, fine, but I'm not going to leave them. And you're going to fight your way through the thing. You see, marriage is not dividing everything in half. It's giving everything that you've got. It's not do unto others as they have done unto you. It's to do unto others as Christ did for you. 
as Christ did for you. And, and last time I checked, he's done a few things, right? Like Jesus has done a few things inside for each and every one of us. Even yet while we were sinners, while we were still in a bad place, Jesus came from heaven down to, to earth to make a way for us to be saved. Even when we were in not the best place in life, even when we were in the darkest places of our lives, Jesus still reached out his hand of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Listen, that's the kind of hand we've got to reach towards our spouse. You might not be in a good place, they might not be in a good place, but you've got to find a way to reach out in that way. Today, I want to talk about this. Covenant partnership is summarized with godly leadership and mutual submission. Godly leadership and mutual submission. Covenant partnership is godly leadership and mutual submission. Submission? What? Uh, I don't know about this. All right. Let's look in the Bible. If the Bible says it, maybe. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is interesting. I, I find that some people are naturally dominant and some people are naturally passive. If you're naturally dominant, we just raise your hand. How many naturally dominant people do we have in the room? I got dominant, dominant, dominant. Any dominant? How about naturally passive? Any naturally passives in the room? If you have to ask, then you're passive. <laughs> if you're like, hey, am I the, yes, you are <laughs> the passive one. Listen, we've got to be mutually submitted to one another. One of you is more dominant and one of you is more passive. If you have two dominants, then you're going to get right to the heart of things real quick. If you have two passives, sometimes you're going to dance around things and not talk about things as you should be, right? And so if you have a dominant and a passive together, the dominant can feel like, I'm going to go after this thing because we've got to straighten it out. And the passive is like, just stop attacking me. <laughs> you know, and so you've got to have, you know, if you have those two dominants or two passives or one of each, you know, being able to recognize that and build patterns around it. How do you mutually submit to one another? Amber and I mutually submit to one another. You know, I would be the dumbest man alive if I didn't utilize and maximize the gifts and talents and passions that are within my amazing wife, right? Like, I, if, if I was not mutually submit, submitted, right, it, I would be, I'd be an idiot, you know? And because my wife is an incredible, incredible woman and brings amazing stuff into our covenant partnership. See, Amber has some gifts that, that I don't have. One of the gifts that she has that has saved my bacon so many times in life is she has a gift of discernment. You know, you know that, that gift of discernment, and, and maybe you have it and you know what I'm talking about, where you hang around somebody and you just like, you can just tell something's off. You know, or, or you, like, I can't put my finger on it. I don't have the facts, but I can just kind of feel something's not right here. And, you know, it's like when you open the fridge and you're like... Something isn't right in here. I don't know what it is, but I can smell it ain't right. Listen, that gift of discernment is huge, right? My wife has a very strong gift of discernment. And, 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 and so there are people in my life that will come into my life and Amber's like, ah, you should watch out for that one. I don't know. Not, I can just sell something's a little bit off. Okay, sounds great. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be their friend. It just means that, that I'm going to hold them at a little bit of a distance and kind of trust but verify kind of thing. Like, let's, let's just be careful and make sure, does this person have a weird agenda? Are they trying to hurt me? Are they trying to do something? You know, are they just bad news? I got so many crazy harebrained ideas. I'm one of those guys that's always popping off all these crazy ideas about stuff I want to do. And, and Amber has the wisdom to be like, no, not that one. 
I'm like, oh, okay. No, no, that's not, a, I'm, no, no, that's not good. You know, sometimes the jokes, the jokes I want to tell on Sundays, I, I run them through Amber and, and she says, no, not that one. <laughs> you should be grateful. Sometimes I don't run them by her because I know she's going to say not that one and I want to tell it anyway. And so, you know, <laughs> every once in a while I tell one that's a little edgy and you're like, ooh, that was a little edgy. You can know I did not run that by my wife. But, you know, like, like yeah, I have that gift of discernment. She has saved my bacon in so many ways. There's been times that I was thinking about starting a business with a business partner years ago and she says, I don't know what it is about this person, but I don't trust them and I'm not sure what to do. I don't know. I just can't tell you what it is. And so guess what? I didn't start a business with that person. Everything on paper was perfect, but she had this sense of discernment. A few years later, we found out why it was a bad idea to be in business with this person. I had no evidence, but I listened to my wife's gift of discernment. Her gift has blessed me and our marriage in so many ways. I'm telling you, when your spouse has a gift of something in, your, in their life, you would be an idiot to not be submitted to the gift that's in your spouse. You'd be an idiot to not be submitted to the thing that, that God has planted in your life and given you as a blessing. Because I'm telling you that, 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 that the two become one and, and you gotta, you got to listen. you got to listen. So here's where we get to the verse where everybody goes, oh man, you're going there today? Yeah, I'm going there today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, the next verse. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is, he's the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Okay, <clears throat> I understand that this verse can trigger a lot of pain, can trigger a lot of um, uh, knee-jerk reactions. And, and here's why, it's because people have abused this in, in really, really unhealthy ways. And, and, in, and in fact, if, 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 if you have ever quoted men, if you have ever ever quoted this, this verse in an attempt to control your wife to do anything, you, sir, are an idiot. <laughs> it's abusive, right? It's abusive um, and, and just in general, just not good. And, and so here's what happens is that, is that sometimes there have been, you, women can have told me stories about men who have used this verse as, an, as, a, as the tool and the leverage to try to, con to control them. Listen, that, that's not what this is. It's a mutual submission thing. And, and when it's a mutual submission thing, it's a beautiful thing. And we're going to explore this all the way down. But, but I got to say, here's what I find is that, is that men who are biblically called to be the leader of the household, when you're out of balance, and, and as a man, if you're out of balance, you typically lean one direction or the other in an effort to either protect yourself or overcompensate. And so men will drift from the area, from the area of God confidence, which is the healthy bandwidth to be in. And then we can drift from that to letting our insecurities um, to drive us and our, our deficiencies drive us because we're all we're all human. We all have deficiencies inside of us, and we know our own problems crystal clear. And so what happens is as men, we take this and we say, okay, we're, you know, they will either take from the God confidence, they'll drift over to the arrogant side of it and puff them ch their chest up and bang their chest and they're like, oh, I'm going to be the man, you know. And, and well, listen, that is rooted in insecurity. And that guy takes this verse and starts to try to use it as a weapon. And well, it's a sword, it's a sword of the Lord, right? Yeah, well, you're beating your wife with it, so that's a bad thing, right? And so, um, you know, they, they would drift this way into arrogance when they're in, dealing with their insecurities. Other, other times, gentlemen, we can do this, is we can drift this way and we can drift into a place of being passive and actually vacating our spot as the head of the household in a biblical sense, being the leader of our household. 
I, I find men will drift one way or the other when they're lacking in the God confidence that God wants to give to each and every one of us. Listen, men, you're called to lead. It doesn't mean you make all the decisions. It doesn't mean that, that you are lording anything over your spouse. It just means that you are called to lead. It, it, it's not dictatorship. It's leadership. It's leadership. And, and let me explain to you how leadership works. Uh, and, and for this environment in the church, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. So I'm the, I'm the leader of the church, the point person leader uh, of, of the church. I mean, Jesus is the head of the church, but, but he's handed, you know, so I'm the steward of this, of this church right now. So guess what? I don't make every decision that happens in the church. I mean, if I did, it, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be better. I'd love everything, but, but not everybody here would love everything, right? And so, I, you know, I don't make all of the decisions in the church. In fact, here's what we do in the church is we have people who are in charge of areas that, that are now have authority to be able to activate inside of those areas. Uh, I, I don't lord, I don't walk in and, and say, this is how it's going to be. We, we have conversations. We figure out what's the best thing. We pray, we seek the Lord. God, what is it that where, where you would have us lead? It's a team type thing that happens around here. I don't pick the songs. Daniel picks the songs. So if you love them, he gets the credit. And me, because I, you know, I'm just kidding. No, it's, and if you don't like them, well, yeah, it's his fault as well. I'm, I love you, Daniel. I'm just, <laughs> but I don't make all the decisions, right? We, we have teams, and he has, I know that they have teams inside of teams in the different areas inside of the church. That would be crazy for me to make every decision. Listen, if you're going to be the leader of your house, you don't make all the decisions. When the Bible says that the man is the head of the household, you now are mutually submitted to your wife. There should be a teamwork coming together to make decisions in your home. It shouldn't just be you by yourself. I, I said that the, the verse says, yeah, I'm in charge, you know, submit to me, woman. Make me a sandwich. You know, like, it's not, it's, not, it's not what that is, you know. It's not what that is. Listen, as a leader in your household, and I know I'm speaking to men um, right now, and women, you're like, okay, that's just right. I, listen, I, I can't speak directly to the role of the woman. I don't feel like I have the authority to do that as a man. And so, um, but, but as, as a man, I'm going to speak directly to the men in this area because I know that I can have the authority there. Men, we got to set the tone for the home. You set the culture for your atmosphere. You can set that culture. You can decide what kind of a home you're going to be in. Women, I think you have just as much influence in this area as the man does. But, but let me tell you, if your wife is working hard to set an atmosphere, a positive culture in your home, and men, you come in all grumpy after work, and rah, 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 you don't even see it, but you're sucking the air out of the room, and you're causing a negative culture in your home, which will affect your kids, and are you leading them in the way that they really need to be led? right? Man, you have the power and the ability and the authority to be able to set the culture in your home. You got to be able to set that and the direction and the values of, of what, your, what your family and your, and your life is going to stand for. Gee, I wish my wife would honor and respect me. Are you doing things that are honorable and respectable? Are you, are you leading in a way that allows that to happen? You right? It, it's, it's what it is. You got to give her something to honor and to respect. The Bible talks a lot about servant leadership. In fact, Jesus modeled this perfectly. He left heaven, his place of authority, and lowered himself to earth to be as a man, to, to, to then make a way and serve humanity so that they might be in right relationship with God. If that's what Jesus did for the church, right? If that's how Jesus modeled a servant leadership of coming down and, and serving those around him, 
Men, that's what we should be doing. We should be servant leaders. You should take servant leadership and model it. You serve first and you, and you lead in a direction. The guys that like to use verse 22 to tell their wife to make a sandwich <laughs> often forget about verse 25 in the same passage. And verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I, I want to remind you of, of what Jesus did do. He left heaven and he came to earth. He lowered himself down to earth. He, he, he then served everyone who had need. He went and gave of himself everywhere that he went without looking for anything in return. At the end of it all, he was falsely accused in a kangaroo court. He was stripped naked pub and thrown in public naked, whipped and beaten, and then dragged through town, mocked and spit, nailed to a cross, and died. Men, that should be a call for us to, be able to lay our lives down for our family, lay our lives down for our wives. It, it, humble yourself and lay yourself down for your family and for your wife. Be a servant, but be a leader. And I think, men, that that balance is so important that we can do it. We can do it. It must be easy for you, Pastor Matt. <laughs> you, you're a pastor. I mean, how hard could your life be? Right? It, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I hear that. Well, yeah, but you, you know, you, what, do you, what do you know? Your dad was a pastor. You lived the perfect life growing up. Pastor's kid. Which, by the way, it was not a perfect life growing up. You know, we have our own challenges. We have our own things. We have our own bumps. I, I can promise you a couple of things. That, 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 that my schedule and Amber's schedule are just as tough as yours. That, that we are just as human as you are. We deal with the same things that you deal with. Our flesh is real and, and we are capable of any kind of sin. We've made mistakes, we've, we've hurt each other, we've, we've worked through it. Drama in the family, well, we've got some of that. Health issues, things like that creep into our family just as much as they do anybody else's. We have the stress, and maybe you do too, of the expectations of a lot of people. When I was a pastor's kid, I knew that you couldn't win. I figured that out pretty early. Because they thought, well, you're the pastor's kid, so you must be the angel, the perfect child. Or, you're the pastor's kid, you must be a hellraiser. There was no middle ground. You could be one or you could be the other, but you couldn't just be a normal person as a pastor's kid. Growing up, it was interesting to have those weird expectations. It actually set me up to be able to, to do what I do now because even today when people hear that I'm a pastor, of course, none of you here would ever do this, but, but when anybody hears that I'm a pastor, there's an instant stereotype of what they think. When I'm in, out in public and I introduce people and we're talking and like, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, <laughs> really? Really? You know, oh, you must be a hate-filled, fear-mongering, you know, whatever the, is on the news these days, they, you know, psycho-Christian, you know, and it's like, yeah, probably. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but like it's, people have these weird stereotypes just based on, on these types of things. Listen, the pressures of life for you and for me might be different pressures from different angles, but we all face the same kinds of pressure. We all face the same types of pressure. Around this room, there are people who have been married for decades, decades. And they've learned these things and they've worked through them. I'm telling you, if you're struggling in your marriage and you're having a hard time, 
There are people in this building who can help you. Marriages who are thriving and that are still wildly successful even after all of these years. And so I'm telling you that it is possible to have a thriving and successful marriage. And I want to say that your marriage will be as good as you both decide that it will be. Your marriage will be as good as you both decide that it will be. It'll always take work. It'll always take work. But it can be absolutely amazing because it's worth it. I don't know, Pat. I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like forgiving. What they did was wrong and I don't feel like forgiving them. I don't feel like working on this anymore. I feel like I've worked hard enough and long enough and there's no improvement. I don't feel like working on it anymore. How many other areas of life can you offer that excuse? I just don't feel like going to work today. Ma, the work culture is not great. I just don't feel that anymore. I just, what about those bills? I don't feel like paying those either. You know, I never enjoyed that part of life either. I don't feel it. I'm not feeling I'm not going to do it. Those little kids, they're annoying. I don't feel like feeding them anymore. Try that out for a couple of days, right? See how far that, that goes. I don't feel like paying taxes. <laughs> uh, you're going to feel like going to prison. <laughs> Listen, your marriage isn't measured by your feelings. It is measured by your commitment. Your marriage isn't measured by your feelings. It is measured by your commitment. Your feelings will follow your commitment. Your feelings will follow your commitment. But I'm not happy. Okay. I don't love him anymore. I'm out of love anymore. You know, you can go back to the things that you once had. Because at one point in time, you were happy in your marriage. At one point in time, you did love each other. At one point in time, there was a thriving passion in your relationship. You can get back to that. It's possible. You know the difference between united as a marriage or having your marriage becoming untied. Having it united or to have your marriage become untied is the difference of where the eye is. The difference of where the eye is. See, if, if I'm in the wrong place, then become untied. But if I'm in the right place, then we become united. And if both sides of your marriage, both people are becoming into the eye and... and um, you get the eye in the right place, then your marriage has a chance of thriving and succeeding. So today, my hope is this, married people. I promise that our marriage will be about we and not me. That our marriage will be about we and not me. We bow your heads, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you of what you've modeled for us in laying your own life down. God, I just ask that you would help everyone here um, and whether they're in a dating or want to be dating or they're single or, and they're thinking about marriage, God, that they would be able to take these principles that we're learning in your word and apply them to their relationships. For those of us that are married, God, I pray that you would, um, you would help each and every one of us to, to be able to grow closer together with our spouses. God, help us for those who have lost love or those who have um, lost the passion. God, I pray that you would help them to reignite that passion that they once had. God, help them to reignite the love that they once had. Help them to um, commit to their commitment, God, and that their covenant would stay strong and that their marriage would grow even stronger. In your name, amen, amen. Church, will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we leave today.